Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this, tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. This episode does come with a trigger warning. We will be discussing topics such as violence, recovery from trauma, coercion, and domestic abuse. If this is not what you're needing to hear right now, or you have young audience around, then please fast forward or move on to the next episode. Today's guest, Tara Newell, had to fight for her life at the age of 25. She successfully defended herself against Dirty John Meehan, who was a manipulative and predatory man that had married her mother. Now she fearlessly fights to raise awareness around the critical issues of domestic abuse, helping men and women around the world learn what it is to heal and recover. Today you will hear a story of not just survival, but how she's thrived through these moments of trauma. Welcome, Tara. I'm thrilled to have you on the Bravery Academy. How are you today? I am doing okay, dealing with some trauma, but I'm processing it and I'm getting through it and we're going to be all right. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. I'm really looking forward to speaking to you. And I wanted to get to know you a bit more as well, Tara. So for those that don't know you, where are you from and where do you live now? So I am from Orange County, California. I was raised really kind of everywhere in Orange County. We're kind of actually in the middle where I grew up in Newport Beach. I grew up in Tustin. I grew up in Irvine. I grew up in all of those cities and San Clemente. So I've been really everywhere in Orange County. I've also moved and traveled. I lived in Austin, Texas. I've lived in Colorado for a bit. I've lived in Las Vegas. And so I really didn't want to stay here, but I keep ending back here and now I'm here now. So a lot of movement. Oh, yes. Well, I lived in all those other places on my own. That was me venturing out. Um, All the places in Orange County were with my parents, but my parents did get divorced when I was at the age of seven. Your story is one of phenomenal strength and bravery. For those that haven't heard Tara's story, she is an absolute fighter in the first place, a change maker, a podcaster, an advocate. And I first came across your story in 2019. So I hadn't really heard of the story of what you've been through until my sister Sarah 
who is the editor on this podcast and editor on Conan the Con was like, you have to see this story on Netflix and then you have to listen to the podcast. So I know that you've told this story a lot and I know that that can be also quite exhausting and traumatizing. So I want you to share what you feel comfortable with today around what happened to you in 2015 and 2016. Okay, so my mom met a serial perpetrator, a psychopath named John Meehan. He was recently just fresh out of jail. She didn't know any of this, though. She met him on a website called Our Time. It was for Seniors Plus uh, dating. And she had a lot of experiences with other men on there. She just wasn't matching up with people. Uh, She wasn't feeling them, you know, and then she met John. She had this great night with him. And then they went back to her place. But when my mom brings someone back to her place, it's not really for other stuff. It's for a tea or a coffee or something. It's really for a tea or a coffee. So when he decided to get on her bed, that made her uncomfortable. And she decided to establish her boundaries and asked him to, you know, please don't get on my bed. And so he got pissed and he left. And then he called her either the next day or a few days later. And he apologized for his actions. And she thought, wow, that's so great. This guy is apologizing. He's owning up to it. But the thing in the first place, if a guy jumps on your bed, makes you feel uncomfortable, reacts towards you in a negative way, cut him off immediately. That's the first date. You know, not everybody needs to leave a great impression, but you do need to leave an impression where you don't come out in anger. That's such a good point straight away. And I know that you had your own gut reaction as your mum and John started to date. And as I went through the process of dating my con man, I also had those. And it's funny how those boundaries and those little bits of, oh, maybe it's okay. And this kind of being the good girl going to yeah. make us get in compromised positions. But you're you're so right. But anybody that's listening, just hearing that first reaction of someone behaving badly like that, that's like a no going forward, right? Right. Yeah. But, you know, my mom is a forgiving person. She's also taught to forgive others and not to forgive others on the sense where you forgive others for yourself, but like to actually forgive them as a person and have a lack of boundaries with them. But he really came in and he started sweeping her off her feet. He started love bombing her. And Mm -hmm. that's one of the first stages of trauma bonding. So, you know, he was bringing her coffee. He was treating her to dinner because somehow these, I call them grifters, these grifters are able to get money to pay for stuff, but then they'll take a lot more from you. Had you ever encountered anybody like this growing up? Unfortunately, so many. Oh, really? So many. Oh, Oh, my gosh. I had a toxic friend group. I I was with this one guy. I just broke up with another guy. He came in and he was like, oh, like, who, Tara, I haven't 
seen you like this. I didn't know you were a party girl. I thought you were a good girl and like a good Christian girl. And I was like, oh, like, no, I just hung out with my sister's friends that are older. (laughs) And I was like a good Christian girl at one point. But I also, I was a teenager, you know, that part of the brain wants to test their limits and wants to get in a little bit of trouble. And so I also had a house where my mom worked a lot. And so my sister also was a little bit of a troublemaker. And so she would bring me into it. And I swear, if I just like stuck with the church, I probably have a different life. But it's interesting because your mom ends up with someone that is toxic. And there's been a multiple amount of toxic guys in our life. She actually wrote a book where she talks about her past relationships. And it's interesting because the one before John had a whole nother life, uh, was with another woman. My mom bought him a plane. He really wrecked her and like told her that she was ugly that she was fat and degraded her and so she meets john and she's like wow no one has ever treated me this good even though he had that one moment it was like he changed from there on like everything was good until it wasn't I didn't know that your mum had that experience before, John. And I often think about that. That's what sets us up for this vulnerability piece of like, all of us just want to feel loved and worthy. And when that part of us gets crushed down by these relationships and this toxic behavior, unfortunately, that does mean that that we're more vulnerable. And I always think back to my experience and feeling like, just I feel like I had a tiger on my back because I came out yeah. of divorce and that I was like, new like wide-eyed going wow what is this whole like dating world it's actually really scary really scary yeah no I think it's been unfortunate the life that we have experienced but it's also great in the sense of moving forward and being able to have empathy towards other people that have experienced something similar And being able to look at life as a complexity rather than just black and white. So your mum had then started to date John for a few months and did he sort of wingle his way into all of your lives or what did you sense then? No, he wanted us out. Uh, My mom and us are like my sisters are really close and she is with my brother as well, but like not as close because you know the girls so I actually didn't meet him until my sister started having a lot of issues with him my sister was living with my mother she was just like this guy there's something wrong with him she was already calling him out for what he was a con artist yeah she was like he's with other women and my mom was like I I can't handle this. And she was seeing a therapist, but a therapist that was also getting their hours. Oh, okay. So they hadn't had a lot of experience with narcissists. Mm. So this therapist was telling her 
good information, but not good information for a narcissist. And she was telling her, you need to put up boundaries with your kids, which she absolutely did. You know, she absolutely needed to put up boundaries with us. I respect those boundaries now. I'm, I love boundaries now, (laughs) but it, it wasn't good during the time because we were actually feeding her information that was true. But you know this more than anyone. When you're in it, you're in it. And there's not really anyone that can really say something to get you out of it. You have to get yourself out of it and figure it out. Absolutely. So I know that then over that time, he started to push you guys away and there was conflict over over how long a period was it? So I literally met him two weeks in a row when I went to help my mom move. It was around the time of Thanksgiving. And the last time I saw him was the day before Thanksgiving. And I had a falling out with him. We started screaming at each other. We were cussing at each other. Uh, John told me that I only wanted my mom to have for myself. And that I wanted my mom's money. And I was like, no, John, that's what you want. And I ended up having to pack up my stuff and go stay at my sister's that didn't allow dogs. I brought my dogs over there. And I had to sneak them in with like a cardboard box and stuff. But it was the worst, probably... Well, the second to worst night of my life, in a sense, uh, he was texting from my mom's phone saying to my sister, because my sister was having my back, and he was saying from my mom's phone, so my sister was thinking it was my mom, which it wasn't, saying that my sister should just jump off of the building, face first would be preferred. Um, and just saying horrific things to my sister. And I remember just holding her and us just crying together because this was a successful point in his book. And we didn't know what to do. And at this point, we were realizing that we were dealing with someone that was far more dangerous than just... Can I cuss on here? You can definitely cuss on here. Okay. Just like it rather than an asshole, you know, this guy was dangerous. Like, and this guy wasn't a narcissist. This guy was a psychopath. And I've seen people say there's not really a difference, but I'm like, I've known them all. There's such a difference. I'm so sorry that happened to you, Tara. And I know it's a big thing to share, to be brave enough to say that was the second hardest night of my life. And I can feel the pain that you went through. Knowing you had your sister there is comfort to a point, but this this disconnection from your mum, which is so what we just all want, right? We just want our parents around us and to feel love with them. That's unbelievable that he did that to you. Yeah. And it's just, unfortunately, the coercion. And it was like, at this point, 
he did the love bombing. He did the uh, trust and dependency. And the third one is had the hypercriticism. So that's like him pointing out like, oh, your daughters, they just want you for your money. You know, you're spending too much. And then he's also getting rid of us during that stage. And the fourth is gaslighting. So that's when my mom is literally finding out letters from inmates that are coming to the house and then he's gaslighting her saying why are you going through my stuff and he's gaslighting her like that he's like in a pen pal relationship with them and also he was gaslighting me he was trying to turn it around onto me and then the fifth stage is resigning of control And that stage, it's by the stage of trauma bonding, you no longer know what to believe. And so that's why my mom isn't knowing what to believe. It makes so much sense, especially from my smaller version of what I went through of this, that piece of the gaslighting, the trauma bonding and understanding that this is a, a coercion and manipulation, but that to be at that level is disgusting. Right. Yeah. No, and it's just so crazy. And then there's two more that are left. Like the sixth one is a loss of self. And at this stage, you, when you fight back, things get worse. So you settle and you just try to make the peace. So, you know, when my mom is also fighting with him about the letter, she's going to let it go because she's like, okay, I don't want to bring up this. And then he also had an issue with my mom meeting up with me or my sister, more so my sister. So he's also saying, like, if you do this, I'm going to freak out, you know, and I was able to actually get together with my mom, but only at certain times. He had rules with her that she couldn't go out at night unless it was like a work thing. But if it was a work thing, he would be there. So it was like she could only have lunch with me. Because I was saying that I wanted to work things out with John. And I was saying, let's have a conversation. You know, we had that fight. Let's work it out. And he didn't want to. So I was at least like playing a game with him where I was like, okay, I'm going to say like, I support this relationship in order to show that he's the bad guy. Because if I'm being agreeable and if I'm trying to work things out with him and he doesn't want to, it shows that it's on his part and not me. Yeah, that's so brave having those conversations and not giving up. You didn't give up on the relationship with your mother. Thank you. Even though, yeah, exactly. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. 
So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. And so as the months went on, they finally got married and you guys didn't know about it. There's all these layers of deception. How did that feel as you went through those months? It was intense because everything we had to analyze, everything we were doing, it was like there was someone always watching us. He was doing little things to get into our phones. He was doing things to figure out where we were, figure out our jobs, everything. He was keeping tabs on all of us. It's very scary. It's very scary. Over that time, did you bring in police or talk to people about that you felt uncomfortable? We did try to make police reports. However, we were told that we had to have three harassment suits. We were also not taken seriously. And so at that point, you're like, okay, I guess it's all in our hands. And my family did hire a private investigator to look into him. However, that wasn't enough for the police. Wow. And did they find the information that you could take to your mom to say, we need to get you out? Yes. Well, she did actually leave him at that first initial time when she saw the documents and stuff. And she went and lived with my sister, Nicole. And then over time, like probably a month or so, or like a month and a half, he was able to weasel his way back in. And he even took her to lawyers that convinced her that these John Meehans that we looked up were other John Meehans. There's a lot of John Meehans in this world. And so, yeah. That's insane. So where did it go right. from there? So it ended up, she went back together with him. She was also married to him, which we didn't know this at the time. Well, I mean, there's a lot more stuff that happened, but I didn't really have any more engagement with him for say. My sister put trackers on his car and stuff to figure out where he was going. And it was more so just analyzing what he was doing during that time. And then she left him. And each time you leave someone that is of this level of psychopathy, you literally like, you have to play your cards so carefully because they will react with every loss of control. And so my mom left him. She left him in Irvine. And then she went to Vegas to pack up the house that she had with him, with my sister to film everything. And then he actually called the cops on her and said that she hit him when she didn't. Because she was in Vegas, they dismissed that. And then She went and lived with my sister for this moment. 
my other sister, Jacqueline, he lit my mom's car on fire at her work one day and then drove it to a different location. And then he also ran his car that my mom got him into a gate in Vegas, like the gate for a housing complex. And he left the car there and the car was trashed, like full of trash and everything. So we ended up getting that car because it was in my mom's name and at least he doesn't have a car now. Mm-hmm. And then he also let the dog that they had together go. So he was coming to California and stalking us. So he eventually went after my sister well just like chased her with well like she chased him actually with a car when she caught him at her apartment complex which my mom lived also and so she chased him down and then she came to my apartment complex and checked and make sure he wasn't around there she actually walked by my apartment door didn't hear anything. I had work at 7am. So I was asleep. And that was the day that I was going to the Jason Aldean concert. And then that was the day of my attack where he attacked me in the parking garage. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And you know what? We don't have to actually relive that story because I know it's been told so many other places. It's not about that moment. Do you know what I mean? Does that sound okay? Yeah, that sounds perfect to me because yeah. I'm like, I know. I'm, I can't stay. Yeah, and that's the thing. If anybody wants to hear it, you can go watch the Netflix series. The details of that fateful day in August 2016 don't actually need to be relived. Tara went through so much in her life sharing that story, whether it was in the Dirty John podcast or in the series. What you need to know is that day she fought for her life. She figured out how to defend herself against this man that attacked her in a car park in broad daylight and was planning on hurting her even further. She managed to defend herself, and in that act of self-defense, John was taken to hospital and put on life support. A few days later, he died, which meant she didn't have to go through the court process and defend herself against that, and it was acknowledged that it was self-defense. But that trauma of being attacked has really been what Tira has been working through since 2016. You've been so brave in sharing what happened to you. And it isn't about that moment. It's actually about what happened after and how you survived. Thank you. Well, and then that moment in the Netflix series is actually for 100% my point of view. It's just <gasps> Julia Gardner playing me. Yeah. And then the only thing that's different is she holds up the backpack. I put my purse under my heart and that's the difference. That's amazing. Because, yeah. Amazing. They respected me with that. So what made you want to share your story? So many things. We originally spoke with the LA Times and that got turned into a series of podcasts that released the same time with the articles. And that really wasn't planned. We didn't really know that we were getting into that. Christopher Gofford let us know 
maybe a couple weeks beforehand that that was happening. And so we were like, oh, that sounds cool because we really didn't know what a podcast was. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Look at you now. I know, right? Like, I really know what podcasts are now. (laughs) And then we did a live show at the Ace Theater in LA. And it was really cool, too, because I got to see someone there that was actually from my attack. And I haven't had any contact with them. A percentage of the proceeds went to domestic violence. Yes. That's Um, amazing. Yeah. So that night I met Richard Suckle, who is the producer of Dirty John. And he was the producer of Suicide Squad and Wonder Woman. And I am a huge DC fan. So I was like, yeah, I want to work with you. This is a big part of what your story really is about to me is how you recover and how you heal. And it's the bit that I feel like is the most important part of your story, because I think that's the the thing that's really shining through with your work now. Do you tell me a bit more about what you do and how that's kind of evolved? Yes. So I do life coaching with the sense of trauma and also toxic relationship recovery, because I think the two are really intertwined a lot of the times. I mean, if you are in toxic relationships, usually it's so funny how many people tell me like, oh, my father and mother were great, blah, blah, blah. We start chatting and stuff and I start picking out little things that they've done. I'm not a parent, so I can only speak to it as a daughter but parents are imperfect. Everyone is imperfect. And the fact is, there's going to be things that we do to mess up our children, whether we like it or not, our best intentions. And as adults, it's our mission and our journey to heal ourselves. Can you tell me a bit more about the work that you've had to do on letting the body heal and letting the mind and the emotions heal? That is like a seven-year journey, but I have done so much yoga. I've done EMDR therapy, and that's helped me immensely. However, I believe I still do need to go back and do a few more sessions because I am in a great place. However, the, the journey is forever ongoing. And so what don't look at me and be like, oh, I don't want to go to her because she's not healed. No, Every- no, You're <laughs> Every- phenomenal. <laughs> Thank you. Well, everyone is not healed fully. And anyone that thinks that they are healed fully, they're lying to themselves or they think they are and they just don't know the next step. Yeah, 100%. What I love about what we're doing here is the vulnerability in these conversations to be like, I still hurt. I still hurt because people permission to go, well, I actually, I'm really, 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 really hurting, but I really yeah. don't know how to figure this out. And that's what you're yeah. doing is how people get roadmaps, right? And figure out their roadmap compared to what somebody else is. It's not a, it's not a like, okay, you're going to do this yoga class. You're going to do this sound bowl and you're going to do this breathing exercise and poof, you are magically fixed. Yes. Yeah. No. And I don't know if you experienced this, but There's a lot of people that come to me only for one or two sessions. And 
they haven't had anything very consistent. Let's just say yeah. that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We need at least eight. When someone comes into me and they're in a state of dysregulation and they're like, can you just fix it now? And I'm like, well, here's your Band-Aid, but do you want me to actually help you for the rest of your life? Because this thrive state's really bloody hard to get to. That is hard work. And the problem is in our society, we don't hold space for healing. Well, we're also into this instant gratification with the phones. Everything is available instantly. So a lot of people think that that should be the same with their healing. And the point of having this conversation is because I want people to be aware of it. Like if you do a coaching session with me, like, oh, if you don't vibe with me and you only want to do one session, totally respect that. But don't just do one session because you think you're going to get healed from that one session. You need at least like six, eight, 10. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's because there's layers that peeling them back when you go through trauma, it's getting people into safety mode first. And when we're already in that trauma state and we're physically wound up, if we don't know what it looks like to actually bring ourselves into safety, which is why the the biggest puzzle piece for me has been around breathing. It's not a one-size-fits-all model. So this feeling of introspective awareness, this learning to listen in, is really powerful. And the science behind that and what you're teaching is is amazing, the embodiment of it. And this can feel really woo-woo to people, right? Like you're even when you yeah. say, like, I'm doing, I've been on yoga, it's been really healing. I'm like, yes, it is. And we need to explain more about why that is, because it's the physical, it's the mental, it's the emotional, it's the spiritual process of learning to be safe in your body. Yes. Yeah. No. And I think it's funny when people say like, oh, yoga's woo-woo. However, you can connect with whatever God you believe in. You can connect with yourself. You can connect with whoever during that time. That time is for you. Absolutely. It's a connection to self, right? Yes. I don't know if you've ever done this exercise before, but I have a trauma group every first and third Monday. It's a free one. But the exercise where you just start laughing. Yes. And then, yes. Yes. It's so good. So again, endorphins and serotonin is just from laughing. And it's contagious. So that laughter is contagious and it makes you feel so good. I love that. So with your journey, I know that you've done a lot of work with podcasts. So you've got your own podcast. There's two now, right? There's two. Have I got that right? Or is it like- No, um, well, like Dirty John's like done. That one's like closed. Yep. I had another one called Time Out with Tara, but that one's only on Patreon now. So the next podcast that you've been doing with Collier, tell the world about that because I want people to be listening into it to be inspired by these stories. Thank you. Well, it's the Survivor Squad podcast. It's available anywhere where podcasts are available. We share survivor stories. We had Emma on to talk about hers. And it's a really great place. We just did Amanda Knox's episode. We did Rita Isabel. Her brother was killed by Jeffrey Dahmer. We did... Kim Goldman, her brother was killed by OJ Simpson. And there's just a lot of great people that come on and share their stories like you. And I know you've been through so much. What do you think bravery is? I think that bravery is having the courage to speak out and to change the narrative, like having that courage, because 
When you speak out, that's when these abusers are held accountable. And if anybody wants to connect with you or learn more about what you do, how do they get in touch with you, Tara? So Instagram, all platforms, Tara Newell, just on Twitter, Tara underscore Newell. And then the Survivor Squad podcast is available anywhere where podcasts are available. Absolutely. I know, Tara, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. I know today is really challenging. So thank you so much. Thank you. Our lives were never the same after we learned our 21-year-old daughter, Kristen, was murdered by her ex-boyfriend. It's a parent's worst nightmare. How much did we really know about domestic violence back then? Clearly not enough. Now we know plenty. We know domestic violence, or DV, can happen to anyone. One in three women suffer physical violence at the hands of intimate partners during their lifetimes. One in three. I'm Bill Mitchell, host of the When Dating Hurts podcast. And my interviews with DV counselors, law enforcement, and especially actual DV survivors give the pandemic of domestic violence the attention it deserves. The When Dating Hurts podcast. It's a series of lives being saved.